This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Interesting topic this week. Uh, I've entitled it The Business of Big Time Sports, and uh, we have two very knowledgeable guests. First of all, Don Rogers. She's the Deputy Athletic Director's at, Director at Baylor and, and has been a college administrator for over 25 years. She's worked at ASU. Xavier and the University of Akron was also the Executive Director of the 2017 Phoenix Final Four. Complimenting her is A.J. Maestas, who's the founder of Navigate, who, which is a company that is advisor to leading brands and organizations in sports and entertainment. He's an expert at valuing sports industry sponsorships. His clients include all five professional sports league, the co- most of the major college conferences, and uh, and uh, corporate entities that whose names you would all recognize from following most of any kind of sports. Welcome both of you to the Think Tank. I'd like to start out by asking a question of Don about just observations of broad trends. I, to me, uh, you know, big time or, or college sports. Uh, to me, I my starting point is nineteen sixty uh, eighteen sixty nine when when Princeton traveled to Rutgers for a football game. It got bigger than any than I think anybody ever imagined. In the in the course of of, of your career, which spans not quite that far, but going back. At at least 25 years, Don, what would you say are the broad trends that you've observed in collegiate athletics? Well, I'm glad I'm glad that you recognize that I can't go back to the 1800s. Although if you if you look at the 1800s and some of the narratives that came out um, as college athletics began in its infancy, those are some of the same issues that we're still, you know, dealing with and, and, and how colleges approach intercollegiate athletics, the pride, the prestige, what it means to your institution. And I think out of that has borne a lot of the rules and things that we've tried to create to have this even playing field. And during my time, the last 25 years, that's probably really been the largest shift in the last five years has been kind of an earthquake if you're if you're talking about shifts as we've really looked at the abilities for student athletes to to be able to do things that they hadn't been able to do before and and I I think for those of us that have gotten into college athletics and that really keeps us here it's that you know development of the total person when you come in as a freshman and you leave as um, a graduate and and the importance of what college provides you. Um, I have a 22 and a 25 year old. I've, I've watched it firsthand what they learn in college versus, you know, what they, what they learned at home. And it's been, there has been a lot of great change in the last few years as we've given student athletes more opportunities, uh, name, image, and likeness, I think is one of been one of the largest changes. And there's a lot of really positive things that have, have come out of that. At the same time, we're 
navigating um, the Alston case decision and and what that means to institutions. You, you got to explain. We got we got a lay audience here. You got to explain that. And I think when you talk name, image, and license, I think we're talking about uh, compensating athletes, uh, not paying them, but allowing them to have endorsement deals. Correct. Right. So name, image, and likeness allow the student athlete to um, profit from their name, from their image. Um, everything from being able to model, which was prohibited previously, um, to teaching lessons, to selling a jersey with your name on the back of it, to having a fourth quarter with no time on the clock stop and, um, and be able to sell a photograph to fans, to be able to sign autographs. A lot of the things that normal students have been able to do that were really um, – There was a really narrow um, amount of things that a student-athlete could do work-wise. You know, they couldn't, for example, teach lessons. You couldn't have the Don Rogers sports camps, and now you can. And so it's really opened up, and it's a brave new world that we are trying to navigate. But it really has opened up opportunities for student-athletes that have been been really positive. There's obviously some unintended consequences At the same time, we have adopted the transfer portal, allowing football, men's and women's basketball, student-athletes to be immediately eligible. And that's also new in college athletics. Previously, they had to serve a year in residency. And so all of these things have kind of collided at the same time and really, really changed the way that we approach our business. So that's a very long answer to say that in my 25 years, the last two to three years have have held the most change um, from my personal standpoint. Let me ask you about the issue of uh, these uh, kind of endorsement name image. My gut would be that that will really apply. While everybody's eligible, the number of athletes that really could cash in on that, I would think, would be very, very tiny as a proportion of all student-athletes. Can you estimate what what kind of numbers we're talking about here? Yeah, I think that, you know, for most, I, I look at our data as, as, you know, as we're in this for a half a year, and there's all different, you know, it impacts student-athletes in, in many different ways. Everything from being provided free merchandise to, you know, receiving very lucrative financial um, endorsement deals, uh, trading cards, for example, that that has been very popular with student athletes, the ability to endorse a business or go sign autographs. But it really is, we, we have a lot of student athletes that have taken advantage of that. And I think that most institutions would say that because they're you know, these are social influencers. These are people that are that have passions and are very entrepreneurial. And this allows them to go out and look at different ways to market themselves, to use their influence, to have a passion and be able to just like, you know, just like anyone else, find an opportunity of how do they financially gain from that. So we've, we have a significant number of student athletes that have been involved. Some, some are just smaller, you know, smaller deals that are one or two things to some other student athletes that have multiple, um, you know, multiple opportunities that have been very profitable for them. 
I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'll pursue that with AJ in a minute after the break because we're getting into his areas how you actually do that. But you referenced we're only six months in. Is this is that roughly the time? I think there was a court decision that that basically said you had to allow this. And is 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 six months? Is that about the uh, the correct amount of time where these new rules have been in effect? Yeah, it started this past summer uh, was when I believe I believe it was July 1st and you know, different states had passed laws. Texas has a name, image and likeness law. Obviously, it started in California, but soon we saw other states that passed similar laws that mandated that student athletes be able to, um, you know, market their name, image and likeness. So, yeah, it is it is a very short amount of time that we've been we've been in this brave new world and we've learned a lot and it's going to continue to change and evolve as, you know, as we move forward. Is this the product of laws being passed? I thought there was a court decision in there somewhere that says that uh, the NCAA could not prohibit this. Am I, am I right about that? Well, you might be thinking of the Alston case, which also has been going on for a number of years that was heard before the Supreme court and the Supreme Court upheld the plaintiff's um, verdict that also allows institutions to provide academic awards up to $5,980 a year. And that just recently passed as well, uh, or was upheld by the Supreme Court. And so that is a new piece of um, of our world that we're also dealing with. So that was the court decision. There, There never was you know, I think there was much discussion if the NCAA would uh, sue states, uh, California initially, to um, ban states from passing that, and and the NCAA did not do that. So instead, in July, um, we moved forward with this interim legislation that allowed state laws to go into effect, and um, states that didn't have laws to allow institutions to come up with their NIL standards. It does not allow institutions to pay student athletes. It simply allows student athletes to go out and market themselves and sign, you know, these deals that allow them to be compensated. Uh, we'll be back with uh, uh, our other guest, A.J. Maestas, who who is involved in the monetization of a lot of sports activities. And uh, I want to see what he has to say about what the kinds of trends we've just talked about when we return in just a moment in The Think Tank. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're here talking to Don Rogers and A.J. Maestas. Uh, A.J., uh, you are involved in the monetization of a lot of sports. Now, we've been talking in the context of NCAA, big-time collegiate athletics. Uh, as Don pointed out, a lot of this stuff is new, like six months only prior to that. Uh, collegiate athletes were severely uh, prohibited from basically profiting from their athletics. Uh, what have you observed happening in the last, you know, last six months or so when the, kind of the like the the gate's been opened and I assume we're in a new world here? Yeah, it's a bit of a free for all. Um, and 
there's a few reasons. Don mentioned there's free transfers now. Uh, essentially, you're unrestricted from transferring and being immediately eligible, essentially. For the That's got to change the player, player dynamic with yep. players and coaches. That, that's exactly <laughs> right, right? There was a great deal of power that coach had over those players. So. Because in the past, you not only had to sit out a year, but I think you lost a year of eligibility. That's correct. Year, so you, that's a big deal. Well, it depends. There's certain scenarios, and it depended mm-hmm. by sport. And so these mm-hmm. are some of the things that caused these changes, right? Uh, baseball, basketball, football had different rules than, let's say, soccer or tennis. Mm-hmm. Seemed a little inequitable, right? That mm-hmm. some were restricted from eligibility. Was and, it the big money sports that yep. tended to have the restrictions? Right. No. So they tried to keep their keep their players. Right. And, and and it was inequitable for sure. Right. Imagine that the coach can take a new job and leave tomorrow, and mm-hmm. but you have to face this short term expiration on your eligibility and where you transfer. It was tough. Co- coach also gets paid. Paid very very well because. The scholarships, and, and you know, this is an opinion, but I think there's pretty good economics behind this. The scholarships don't reflect the total economic value of that talent. Not, right? not, if, you, not if you're in the big-time athletics. Exactly. Big-time revenue sports on average. Of course, there's ones where you could say kids are overcompensated with well, the benefits. Yeah, if you're, not, if you're not in, if you're not in a, you know, one of the major conferences or you're not talking football or basketball. R- right. Which these... is probably mo- – I mean, isn't it true? I mean, most intercollegiate ac- athletics cost money. It's not a profit maker. Correct. It's that we know yeah, – I mean, turn on your TV and you can tell which ones make money. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's fair to say. TV deals, full stadiums, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But the, the – to – Paint the picture overall. Freedom to transfer at any moment. This name, image, and likeness thing we're discussing. Their ability to receive is that, endorsements. Is that include within a given season? Yeah. Yes. Oh wow. Well, yeah. There, there's there's a bunch of nuances, but mm-hmm. as a general rule of thumb, you can hit the transfer portal whenever you want. Wow. Uh, and and then be eligible to be contacted. But but this is one of the things that is very meaningful and relevant to those who follow pro sports. There's free agency and there's a free and open market, but there are windows for those transfers or, you know, these free agency Mm -hmm. windows that doesn't exist in collegiate athletics. Mm -hmm. There's rules from the NCAA that say you can't do things, you know, tampering, et cetera, but there's no fine or penalty for that. So essentially what happened with this bill that turns into a law in California two years ago, we see this deadline of the summer of 21 saying, okay, we're going to be able to pay kids endorsements. You'd asked earlier, Don, uh, uh, what, what is a normal percent? About 5% of pro athletes get real money from endorsements. You mean NCAA? No, I'm talking pro, pro sports. Pro, yeah. oh, okay. And what you're seeing is almost all collegiate athletes getting some form of a deal. So immediately what, what arose was a marketplace that was not reflective of actual name, image, and likeness endorsements. Mm-hmm. Um, it is essentially a recruiting enticement. You know, come play here. Stay here. Don't transfer from here. Um, So there are deals that don't fit the normal economic norms that we'd see, what what someone would want to feature an athlete in a commercial. Just think of your favorite NFL team and how many of those athletes are featured in advertising or commercials. Two or three, maybe. Yeah, the the big names. Yeah, yeah. and that's local. You You have to have a superstar to be featured nationally. So basically what happened is the freedom of athletes to transfer and be essentially immediately eligible. The freedom to pay these kids, uh, even though the rules of the NCAAC can't do these things, that Alston case that Don was referring to, it was a 9-0 vote. You know, the, the, the Supreme Court basically said you can't do anything to restrict these people's ability to earn money and um, you are not going to get uh, antitrust exemption. They were seeking and that. And that was a federal Supreme That's Court. That's right, federal. Okay, so this applies across the country. That's right. So 
you have the NCAA with the rules that they'd like to enforce and things that mm-hmm. ran away from them. They had two years to prepare for this, but the things that ran away from outside of their control. And then this new marketplace explodes. And basically what you're seeing, and, and Dawn can speak to Baylor specifically where she currently works, but what you're seeing is a free-for-all in recruiting not just high school athletes and enticing them with the potential endorsement deals and money, but you're seeing current athletes on rosters being tempted to leave. Let me make sure I understand you. You're currently not allowed to wink-wink pay an athlete, but a recruiting enticement can be we've got this endorsement deal and our whole team shares in it, Yep, and you're getting money that's like – it, it's it's a built-in evasion to the system. Right. And what is the NCAA realistically going to do about it? Keep in mind, there was a black marketplace for this before. Mm-hmm. Now it's tax deductible and widely legal. And what realistically is it? What was the black market? I, the, only, the only thing I can think of was, you know, big-time sports boosters were providing lucrative right. jobs for players. Right. But the truth is, is when they image likeness, there are a great deal of things like Don referred to with trading cards that are legitimate and, you know, small appearances, signing, you know, signing autographs for money, et cetera. But but the the real thing that's really interesting and in the large volume, the dollars in the marketplace is essentially pay for play disguised as an endorsement. And it's so it's ultimately coming from boosters. You know, it is those motivated to see their university be more successful. So it used to happen just at a much you know smaller scale. And it was under the table. It was, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrency or casino chips or cash. You know, you had to hide this. <laughs> so um Unbelievable. Anyway, to summarize that all and say what what just happened, collegiate athletics, instead of slowly seeping into free markets the way that, you know, the Olympics used to be amateurism, then they got the rights to do endorsements. It just flew into it instantaneously with the freedom to transfer and essentially pay kids uh, at the same time. It seems to me that kind of suggests this is a house of cards going to fall and and the endorsements and all that de facto involving pay. How, how do you maintain that with ulti- without ultimately just dropping the charade and saying, pay them? I, I unfortunately agree, and I, I, I battle in my mind because what Navigate, my business, does is help our clients you know, move toward the future, right? You know, mm-hmm. A lot of what we deal with is progress and the commercial sense of what happens in collegiate and professional sports. But it hurts because I do believe in the – you know, the principles in collegiate athletics, you know, sound mind and body, uh, the benefits that they provide one another in university and that athlete, it's, it, 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 it's tough. But, yeah, it's hard to see them unwinding. If you look at unionization. Hold that thought. We'll pick it up after the break in the Think Tank when we return talking about sports and money. The Think Tank. KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're here in the Think Tank talking the business of uh, big-time sports. A.J. Maestas, uh, you raised the subject of unionization. I cut you off due to the the <laughs> one non-negotiable thing in this uh, show is the clock. So. <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair. But what I was going to share uh, before the break was uh, no one knows for sure but there are a number of forces that are probably going to lead to further compensation for these athletes. One could be federal legislation, but what are the odds Congress gets on the same page anytime soon? On anything. <laughs> Correct. And, 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 you know, the NCAA has been in some ways, you know, restricted, told you can't have any involvement in these people's ability to earn money. There are state laws that uh, restrict um, unionization at state universities. There are right to work states. So there's some serious laws in opposition to this. But it's hard. And in some, some states, I, not across the board. I mean, I That's know, right. for example, of cases where uh, graduate fellows have unionized. 
Exactly. And, and so and that's that is that is a nuance. That's right. Think about GAs and, and the way they are hybrid employees of universities. Yeah. And, and the graduate fellows, for example, have argued or the schools have argued, well, they're not really employees. They're really students. And the, right. Uh, my right. sense of that is that argument hasn't sold. Well, with the courts in the general. Supreme Court is they made it pretty clear with that nine zero vote. Right. So mm-hmm. essentially what we're talking about here is the right to unionize or collectively bargain or for some form of compensation beyond your scholarship and mm-hmm. the cost of attending the university for collegiate athletes. Mm-hmm. And those are the methods. Congress, uh, maybe the NCAA themselves, but I wouldn't bet on their odds of proactively being in front of something like that. I'm thinking, you know, unionization, right to collectively bargain. These things seem reasonable, right, in a free market that that clearly values some of these athletes and revenue sports at more than their total cost of attendance. So that's basically what I was getting at is all the radical changes we discussed before the break, combine that with the athletes probably getting some rights here to represent themselves, even if it's just for collective licenses, things like video game licenses. Mm-hmm. I would say it's coming, and I would say it's coming in a, just a few years. Don, and broadly in this area, what have you seen at your own institution? Well, I think the unionization conversation is it's very interesting to me personally because I think that, you know, one of the models and, you know, we all agree that the, you know, the word amateurism is, is really so different from 10 years ago. I think, AJ, your example of the Olympics is a perfect one where you've seen it move away from not being a truly amateur. But, you know, the unionization and this concept of, you know, the right to be compensated, I, I struggle with a little bit when I just look at the breadth and depth of a team, you know, you look at 85 student athletes that are on scholarship with a football program, not all 85 of those student athletes play. They all have a varying level. And I worry that as we start talking about this model, it's one thing to say, I want to be able to, um, you know, have my name on the back of the jersey and profit from that or video games. I am all for that. I I think that that is what we need to continue to move towards. But this idea that you look at compensation, because to me, that becomes more like the model of if you're not producing, then you're cut. And I think that is part of, of what's so positive about college athletics that ultimately there are a lot of student athletes on high performing uh, football and basketball programs, gymnast, you know, gymnastics programs, that they might be the 85th kid. They still graduate with their degree, which at some institutions, um, you know, if you look at the total amount of, of money that you are, you know, supporting a student athlete with, it's significant. I mean, my son played college football. It, you know, it changes, you know, someone's life. And that ability to, you know, not be worried that you are going to be cut from the team because you're not producing, I would hate to see that become part of the narrative of what college athletics is. And so the unionization conversation makes me nervous on that end from the student-athlete standpoint. Um, You know, we'll all continue to evolve and, and we'll look different in five years than we do now. But let's not get into a position where this truly is uh, not college athletics, but, you know, just a different form of professional athletics. I'm, I'm wondering, I hear unionization and the way unions generally behave, and usually what they tend to do is everybody gets treated the same. So I wonder if unions wouldn't have the effect 
of uh, doing more for the non-star athlete. The star athletes who who is going to do well because if there's anybody going to cut endorsement deals on their own, it's going to be the star. But the the 80th, as you as you point out, the 80th athlete on an 85 person team who's relatively anonymous may not pay. Isn't that the person likely to be kind of protected by anything that involves a union? Well, I think it depends on 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 what we're talking about. If we're talking about compensation. I think the 85th kid is at risk. And right now, you know, every member of that program is going to school and getting, you know, getting their degree. They're getting all the support that goes with that. They're getting all the student athlete health and wellness services, the athletic trainers, the mental health services, you know, massage, you know, uh, nutrition. All of those things are, you know, for the 85th kid are still available. And what and is, room and know, board is the, okay, right? Room, yeah, tuition, room and board, books, hmm. fees, full cost of attendance, Alston. There's, you know, there's certainly different ways from the stories that we heard previously, where you know I didn't have money to do my laundry because I couldn't get a job, and you only give me, you know, I, I have no spending money. I think we've really, really evolved from that, and so just as these conversations move forward. I just think that we need to fully understand the picture of, you know, what student athletes receive. And, and you know, and then I'll, I'll throw another wrinkle in here as, you know, as a, as a uh, college institution, you know, we're also bound by Title IX. And so as we start to talk about... Title IX says basically you need equity for women in collegiate athletics. Correct. Mm-hmm. And you need to mirror your undergraduate enrollment. Um, and so... What we have to provide, you know, we want to provide for all of our student athletes and the number of teams that we have, these are all the, you know, some of the financial barriers that really press on institutions that I just don't think that we all understand because we look at the big money, uh, what football generates, the television contracts, we look at CFP and the bowl games and the nuances of what makes an athletic program. And we have 525 student athletes across 19 athletic teams and making sure that we provide the resources and funding for all of those student athletes impacts, you know, our entire budget. I want to ask you, AJ, to move uh, to a, broadly to the subject of, of pros. Uh, the biggest change I see there is the infusion of uh, gambling. Mm-hmm. Gambling, uh, NFL, for example, NFL wouldn't put a team in Las Vegas because of gambling. <laughs> Little right. thing I read just until the other, they did. Other, until they did. Well, yeah, the, the dam I think on that one has burst. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in Arizona, example, uh, they just legalized uh, and, and gave the teams, frankly, a sweetheart deal. Uh, three months it took Arizona to clear one billion dollars in event wagering. Mm-hmm. That's in the last three, and this is just clearly just Brand the tip new. of the iceberg. Yep. Uh, what what impacts do you see that having? And do, and, and do you see do you see that is is that going to percolate into collegiate sports at some level? So yes, is the quick answer. And um, I'm not an expert in the negative impact of gambling, you know, addiction and, and how mm-hmm. widespread that is, and what problem that is for society. But but as an expert in the business of sports, it, there are some dramatic positives for these sports. Um, 
believe it or not, seven, eight years ago, ESPN's, we have our longest history working with ESPN as far as media specific work. Seven or eight years ago, we just did a study on gambling and its impact on people consuming college and NFL football. And uh, it was it was pretty powerful. It was pretty meaningful. It creates interest in games you wouldn't otherwise be interested in. It creates sure, you, interest you, in you. You make a small bet on a game that you mm-hmm. really don't care about. All of a sudden, you got a team to root for. That's right. And and you're you know emotionally involved. You know you're super mm-hmm. engaged. That increases viewership and and increases interest. When let's say that your local team is not performing well, you can still be engaged through fantasy sports or gambling. You know and pay attention to the league as a whole. So there's a bunch of benefits in addition to the revenue that you just described. Right, books inside stadiums. Uh, that stadium in Vegas was built to have a book in there, you know, knowing that it would eventually become legal or expecting that it would be. Mm-hmm. So there's some deals that I can't share private numbers, but they are tremendous deals, you know, largest deals for teams other than maybe their stadium naming rights partner that have already been signed, you know, including right here in Arizona for gambling partnerships because they not only get a Which fee. Which may remove the, the uh, issue that we've had in the past about public funding. No, that will never stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's an open marketplace. You want yeah. to keep your team in your town? <laughs> it's going to cost you. There's another market that's going to that's happy to subsidize that team to build a, a mm-hmm. Reno Stadium in their city. But you'd think it would. But um, and they share in the revenue and the upside in some of these mm-hmm. situations, right? Like the Suns have an actual book. You know what I mean? There's there's so there's some really interesting stuff going on where it means a great deal of money. For sports, for the broadcasters, stickiness in viewing those, interest, uh, pathway to fandom, you know, being engaged in a sport that you might not have otherwise cared about. So there's some, there's a ton of positive benefits for the business of sports. And then you asked, is it going to go to college? It already has. Colorado signed a deal almost a year ago. Um, it has. It will. They, of course, will be slower than pro sports and a little what more ca- conservative. What kind of deal? Did- kind of a sponsorship deal, essentially. Mm-hmm. But 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 you're going to see the same. This was of- a gambling company that. Mm-hmm. G- yeah. yeah. Okay. And I mean, Caesars or something. Uh, is, you know, the Fiesta Bowl right here mm-hmm. in Arizona has, has just got a major partnership with Caesars. Okay. So it's going to happen. It's just a question of how fast, slower than the pro sports world. You know, you're more conservative leagues, right? The NFL is holding back and assessing, but you can be sure one year from today they will be, you know, <laughs> you know, head deep in the water, <laughs> right, in the business. So, um, so yes, it's coming yeah. everywhere. Yeah, I got a little historical perspective. I was in this state when they when they put the the lottery on the ballot, and yeah. it was very controversial. And it won fifty two forty eight. Was that yeah. was a close vote? And it should you know this, you know, for lottery. And they basically sold it by the fact that they said uh, you know the proceeds will go to education. So you soften the blow a little bit. We'll be back in a final segment uh, with our guests talking about the business of big time sports when we return in just a moment in the think tank. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're talking about business of big-time sports, a little bit of a focus on collegiate athletics, but we've gotten into pros as well. Don Rogers, you're the uh, Deputy Athletic Director at Baylor, uh, been at ASU uh, and other uh, institutions. We've talked about how there's been really a sea change in the last six months. This feels to me like whatever we've had for the last six months is is just – the tip of the iceberg, we're about to go through some revolutionary change here in the way collegiate athletics work in terms of the financial side. What do you see evolving over the next five years? I think, you know, we're at a really important juncture with college athletics because, you know, we're different because of the educational emphasis. And certainly for, you know, alumni at, 
at colleges and universities that take great pride in their athletic program and, and want to galvanize around it. And I think we have to decide what, you know, what we're going to continue to be as an industry. Are we going to continue to, re, you know, remain with that focus on education as our core value and build that around athletics and continue to be nimble? I, I Again, I go back to I think a lot of these changes are, are good things that we have to figure out from a budget standpoint what we're you know what we're able to afford not every college is able to do it at you know a level of of some of um, their peers but what what do we want college athletics to be and obviously i work in this industry i'm very passionate about what a degree means from an institution i watch the four years you know three years we have some student athletes that graduate in three years of the character formation and the things that we that we do and um, and and I hope that we keep the value of those things, and we still can go to a full stadium on Saturday. We can still go to the NCAA championship and enjoy, you know, what college athletics continues to mean to so many. I, I don't I don't want us to become this model where we you know we just focus on a few things, and and because of that, it breaks up what college athletics is right now. Now the dam burst on endorsements with this California decision is there inequity now in state by state in what athletes can receive as a result of that, or did that diffuse nationally? No, I think and and obviously AJ um, has a lot of knowledge here too. I think that is, you know, that's one of the things you heard at the national championship, right, from from both Georgia and Alabama, that with the transfer portal, as we've talked about, with the different laws, depending on what state you're in, um, it really is an uneven playing surface. And that's what the NCAA has always tried to do, right? It's tried to create this even playing surface for all sports. It doesn't work because of the finances of it. But, you know, Texas law is different than um, California law, for example. Um, our student-athletes can't use their marks. We, they can't use Baylor University marks uh, in their endorsement deals, um, and, and that significantly changes. We as an institution can't help our student-athlete get endorsement deals. In other states, you can. And so there is this cry from everyone to, and that's where you hear about the congressional um, involvement is help us have a more uniform uh, set of standards across all states so that we're, you know, that we're all, we'll never operate from the same playing field because you have different companies, different size cities, different resources, different passions for different sports that will dictate the, um, the endorsement deals, but at least let us all go about it from the same way. So has that created, or is it is it too early to say, has that created or changed the competitive advantages of uh, various schools in terms of recruitment of top-level athletes? Oh, 1,000%. I mean, you, you see it every day, um, especially, well, really across all of our sports. But, but we have absolutely seen different pitches to different student-athletes, and everyone makes a choice on where they're going to go to school, what's important to them, what they value. And, but some of the, some of the things from a recruiting standpoint of freshmen, not just these transfer student athletes, it's really significant when one institution might be saying to you, well, if you come here, you have the ability to make six figures and endorsement deals. 
where um, another institution is not able to make that same pitch or because of the way it's legislated is not able to get involved um, in what they do. And then you've got other scenarios, you know, where institutions are have boosters that are banding together to create companies. Um, and, and I think that how does that continue to evolve in college athletics as well? Uh, AJ, well, she, she used a figure there, six figures. Are we talking in those in that range already? Star players are getting seven figures, and we're only six months in. Wow. Yeah. It's an, that, that's collective. And this is not a mature industry. <laughs> no, no. And, and to juxtapose this against the professional sports world, as we did earlier, a far larger percent of these athletes and uh, are getting deals than they do in the pro sports world, mm-hmm. and they're getting a far larger amount relative to the economics of their sport. So any reasonable person assessing the data would say that the, this is more than endorsements. They're being paid to play. But from the standpoint of uh, wanting to see a larger number of kids being, you know, getting through school and whatever, that that would I, I look at that and say that's not a bad thing. That's right. You're like, well, who's the victim in this? Uh, mm-hmm. Donors are voluntarily separating with money to give it to these mm-hmm. kids to play where they weren't getting paid before. Isn't this just the marketplace telling us they were really worth that? That's what it was like to have them play at your university. And it's, um, it, 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 yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, I would add, my concern, though, is are they getting a real education? Is that is that a sham? Uh, I've seen firsthand some of that. Were, were they before? You know, th- this, no. this money. <laughs> no. <laughs> that, 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 that's right. You know, like, I think there's a massive disconnect at the powerhouse, you know, football factories. Yeah. Um, there's kids that barely set foot in a classroom. You know, they do online education, you know, to not interrupt their day and schedule and what have you. So mm-hmm. tutors that might support a little more than they should. So, mm-hmm. but but yeah, them getting paid, I'll share a statistic with you. The pro sports leagues, about 50 cents on the dollar in revenue ends up in the athlete's hands. So this is the collective bargaining mm-hmm. from their unions mm-hmm. with the league. So a new television deal comes up, pays twice as much. Half of that increase is going to end up mm-hmm. in those athletes' hands. In the collegiate sports world, those athletes, if you count their scholarships, full education, all the stuff that's going on, 5 6% you know, mm-hmm. of the revenue. And some of that scholarship money is funny money, too. Sure, yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's a deadhead empty seat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, is it really true fungible money, money that's yeah. flowing? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, an argument can be made, but we know this. Title IX, what will this do to Olympic sports? What will this do to women's participation? in Olympic? So there are real consequences. There are powerful forces on either side of this argument, right? The only thing I'm hearing really with certainty is things are going to change big time. Yeah, yeah. They already have. It's, it's happening. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would like to say um, that, you know, the examples you, you raise of, of student-athletes that aren't in class or, or really aren't full, fully utilizing their, you know, their experience, I, re- I really think that's a smaller percentage than, than what it may have been in the past. And instead, I, I really think that you see, you know, you, you sit there and watch, the, again, the telecast of the national championship game and hear what those young men are doing and are doing in their community and are doing with their majors. You know, that what is the average NFL career span? Under five years, if you're good, right? Three years, yeah. 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 And so, you know, and so unlike sports like basketball, where you you can play for years, you can go overseas, there's a, if you're willing to be transient, there's a lot, you know, you have a lot longer career. You know, if you're really realistically looking at what, you know, what these young men can do in the NFL, the degree becomes even more important. And and, and so I, I think those are more the exception than the rule. 
because I, I, you know, I'm surrounded here at an institution with an incredible group of young men that really take advantage of, you know, of what they're the opportunity they have to leave with a degree. Well, uh, as a former professor who seen some of the sad side of this uh, firsthand, I hope you're right. I hope it's less. I heard you, AJ, shaking, kind of shake. You're in front of me shaking your head on uh, well, with some not- skepticism, but you know, I've seen the the un, un, unseemly side of that, and uh, uh, hope that hope that that has been uh, that that will it's, be diminished. It's still there. I just, I just hope that it's, it's less than it used to be. Um, and certainly in my 25 years, I have really seen an evolution from that with the standards that we put in. And that doesn't mean that there still are kids that are going to class. I'm not naive enough to Out of time. Got to thank you both. If anybody wants to reach me, the website is mikeoneal.org. There is uh, links there for social media and uh, email as well. See you next week in the Think Tank.